The Federal Health Minister Mark Butler will push for a rapid review into the system that allows doctors sanctioned for sexual misconduct to keep practising. It comes ahead of tonight's Four Corners program, which reveals how Australia's system of health regulation is failing to protect the community from doctors who've groped, dated and molested patients. Here's some of what happened to Samantha Christensen when she went to see her GP. He said to me, maybe that's why you can't find a boyfriend, because you're tired all the time. And men want it a lot, were his words. And I was like, sorry, what? What? And then I was messaging my friend. I said, I'll just tell her that I'm in the doctor's seat. He said, yeah, tell her you're flirting with your doctor. And I said, I won't, because I'm not. ABC investigative reporter Emily Baker has taken a closer look at the flaws in the system. Welcome to Breakfast. Good morning, PK. We just heard part of Samantha's story. She had been seeing her GP for five years when he started making inappropriate comments. How did she feel after that experience? She was completely shaken. As you say, she'd been seeing her doctor, Dr Mustafa Jamnagawala, for five or six years before this one appointment in 2017 where he made a series of comments, some of which we've just heard. Uh, she trusted this person. That's what we do with our doctors. We go to them because we're sick. She had been seeing him when she was married, she'd seen him through her divorce. She'd taken her son to him for many years and they had what she thought was a good relationship. She felt completely sick and shocked, I think, after that appointment and spent a long time wondering if what she'd heard was sexual harassment, maybe that she'd misinterpreted what he'd said and came away just feeling really unsettled. What did she do about it after, you know, it, obviously she thought about it a lot. What action did she take? Samantha decided to make a complaint to the clinic that the doctor was working at at the time, at the urging of a friend who said, look, what you've experienced wasn't appropriate. It wasn't, you know, the worst end of the scale, I think it'd be fair to say. But what if someone else goes in there, Samantha, and doesn't feel as strong as you do and, and takes it even uh, in, a, in a worse way, I suppose, than than you have. So with that in mind, she wrote to the clinic and was told that appropriate action had been taken. And that's kind of where she thought it, it would go, you know, that it would be handled appropriately from there. Now, it was a couple of years later that Samantha was reading the Daily Telegraph, actually, and found out that the same doctor had been accused or been found to have inappropriately touched a 12-year-old girl. And that's when she felt completely sick. She realised that complaining to the clinic in this case just wasn't enough. And this is where I should say, of course, that the doctor in this instance uh, apologised for some comments he made to Samantha, denied others, said he couldn't recall others. But regardless, that experience had left her quite shaken. How disturbing. You, you spoke to Professor Marilyn Walton, a pioneer of Australia's health regulation. She was the first head of the New South Wales Healthcare Complaints Commission and she underlined why these breaches are so serious. Let's just have a listen. The doctor-patient relationship depends on trust. So who else do we go to where we will undress when we're asked to? Allow them to touch us in intimate places when they want to? Ask us questions about the most intimate things in our life and we give them answers about those intimate spaces. So nowhere else does that happen in professional relationships. So that trust is fundamental to our well-being. That was Professor Marilyn Walton. Now, Emily, how widespread do you believe this issue is and how many cases did you discover in the course of your investigation? 
It's worth pointing out that the vast, vast majority of Australia's 850,000 health practitioners do the right thing, PK, but we've been reading through thousands of disciplinary decisions. Over the last six months, we found nearly 500 practitioners with findings against their name related to sexual misconduct involving their patients, uh, and more than a third, so almost 170 of those remain on the National Register uh, we also found another 200 or so health workers disciplined for related matters outside their direct practice, such as sexually harassing a colleague or uh, something that happened in their personal life. As I say, we know that the vast majority of health practitioners do the right thing, but on the other hand, we also know that we have not been able to find the full extent of this problem. Not all decisions are made public, uh, and one of the brilliant experts I've spoken to for this story, Professor Marie Bismarck, says we believe that this is just the tip of the iceberg. So can you explain how practitioners who have been sanctioned for sexual misconduct with patients manage to keep their registration and carry on working? So it's a very lengthy process that's undertaken. Someone might make a complaint to a regulator and, you know, the national regulator is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency or APRA. In New South Wales, it's the Healthcare Complaints Commission and in Queensland, the Office of the Health Ombudsman, which works with APRA. It's a super complex system. What happens is they're investigated. Uh, it might be referred to a new body, an independent tribunal in this case. So, for example, the VCAT in Victoria, NCAT in New South Wales. Each case has its own merits, I suppose, for want of a better phrase. So each time a tribunal is making a decision, they're weighing a lot of things up. How many times have we received complaints or heard complaints about this practitioner? How likely are they to do this again? And the way that the health system is set up, PK, is not to punish practitioners for their wrongdoing. They're not disciplined precisely for what they've done. What the regulation system is set up to do is to predict future risk, which is a really difficult thing. So it's not about saying, you've done this, so you're out. It's saying, OK, you've done this. How likely are you to do this again to more patients? And is there, obviously now you, you have had a response from the Federal Health Minister, Mark Butler, to your investigation. Has he, pro has he you know, promised to take action on this? What's he saying? Well, adding to the total complexity of the system, PK, is that there's no single health minister who's actually responsible for this system. So even Mark Butler cannot himself just make or promise legislative change. He is going to meet with the other health ministers, the state and territory health ministers, uh, later this month, and he has asked the chairperson of the health ministers' meeting, that's what it's called, Yvette Darth, the Queensland health minister, to put on the agenda uh, this issue and he will push for a rapid review into whether recommendations from previous reviews into the health regulation system in Australia have been properly implemented. And you expand this investigation here on RN next week when you present background briefing. Tell me about it. So one of the really disturbing themes that kept coming up when we were reading these cases was how prevalent it appeared in a mental health setting. I'm talking about inpatient psychiatric wards, drug and alcohol facilities, or in an office with a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So later this week, uh, we will expand on this investigation with background briefing, focusing specifically on the absolute betrayal in the mental health setting. Uh, we'll be speaking to a wonderful woman we've, we're calling Kate, who had uh, an inverted commas relationship, that's not what she would call it, with her psychiatrist. And we explore the impact of that and, and why maintaining that really clear boundary between doctor and patient is so important in that setting. Really important work. Thank you, Emily. Thank you.
That's ABC investigative reporter Emily Baker and her report, Do No Harm, airs tonight at 8.30 on ABC TV or you can stream it on ABC iView, of course, and, and on background briefing right here on Radio National on the ABC Listen app as well. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app. Hi, podcasters. Just jumping back in with a special call out for the health report. Dr. Norman Swan, who, of course, you know from RN Brecky and, well, everywhere, hosts the health report with Tegan Taylor. And it's really worth hearing if you want to stay up to date with the latest in health and medical news. Search for it on the ABC Listen app.